If you have your Bibles, go with us to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be on verse number 22. And this is the third session in our series on Changed. Now, most of us realize that our lives have things there that shouldn't be. And then we see from the Word of God, and we look at other people who know Jesus and have walked with Him for many years, and we say, man, I wish that my life looked like that. You ever been there? Sometimes when you look in the mirror, you you don't like what you see. And I'm not talking about the physical appearance. It's just the life that we've lived. And according to God's Word, change is possible, but change has to come from outside us. That's the message of the gospel. And today we're going to, as God gives us strength, we're going to break into verse 22 and begin to talk about the change that God does in us. You know, we've talked about this before, but if you go to any bookstore, the shelves are absolutely packed with books on how to improve yourself. Isn't there? Have you guys seen that? I mean, it's literally, it's blogs, it's on TV, you know, three payments of 1995. I mean, whatever it may be, there's all sorts of things out there that are presented to us to say that here's the new you and here's how you're changed. But the gospel is so freeing because it says that you can't change yourself. Means every single one of us here, whether you've known Jesus for many years, maybe it's your first time back in church, for your first time in church ever, and you're like, Jeff, I know I need changing. Here's the news flash of the entire book, the entire Bible, is that we can't change ourselves. We can't do it. We can't do it. Are you, aren't you glad you came to church? I can walk in the door, you're like, hey, you need changing and you can't do it. Now what if we just ended right there? Like, what if that was opening the book, you need changing, you're going to face God, you can't change yourself, period, the end, close the book. That's when things get to get a little bit scary and depressing, because you're like, I know I need this change, but it, it can't come from inside. I praise God that Jesus gives us himself and says that I am the one who can change you. And here's the cool part that we're learning through the book of Galatians chapter 5 is that when we get saved, not when we uh, sign a card or get baptized or sprinkled, but when we give our lives to Christ, when his will becomes the will for our life, when we say I'm all in for Jesus, there's a change that he begins to make inside of us. You see, that's the good news. And he says there's something called the fruit of the Spirit. And what that is, we're going to break this down, but essentially what it is is when God changes us, He begins to build in us character qualities. And one of the, those character qualities um, is love. And I just want to say, Vicki, welcome back. Vicki Itson is here um, post-surgery. Man, that is, we, we love you, and it is just so awesome to see the faith that the Lord has given you to carry you through this battle um, with cancer. And you're an example to us all. Amen, church. And we love you and we love your family. And when God begins to work in us, he begins to develop in us a strength. Notice notice there in verse number 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And here's the idea we want to get across this morning, that true love actually moves us to action. Now, some of you that watch TV, um, probably like 10% of you guys since we're in church, right? And you remember those the, the beer commercials that Budweiser came out with a few years ago? It was actually a number of years ago where they would say, I love you, man. 
Some of y'all acting like you've never seen that commercial. Stop lying. All right. And these guys will say, I love you, man. And then as the commercials went on, they got more and more demonstrative with it to the point of just not even understanding what they're saying. Just, I love you. And here's the thing. In our culture, we, we have this word love and we use it for everything. And we'll come to that in just a minute. But as we, we, unpack that idea. Um, if you're new with this, uh, Rocky Mount Baptist Church, um, the pastor, I don't have anything to sell. Okay. All right. We, we, we believe the Bible's the word of God. So what we do is we, we open it and as best as we can, we unpack it. All right, church, that's what we do. So what we're going to do is unpack these ideas that some of us may be a little bit unfamiliar with. In verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit, this is contrasted to the works of the flesh, meaning an unchanged heart that results in things that damage us and damage other people. Most of us could probably say that our own worst enemy is ourselves. Can I get a witness? Right? Now you say, Jeff, my, my husband's a crazy maniac or my wife, she's an evil wench. I mean, you, you know, you've got that situation or I've got this boss who's a jerk or I've got this kid that's running wild. But all things considered, when we get down to it, we are the only ones responsible for ourselves. And what we see in verses 19 through 21 is the Bible says that the works of an unsaved heart, the things that we naturally produce, whether it's sexual immorality, whether it is jealousy, strife, anger, to where we are, relationships are characterized by screaming and fighting and backbiting and anger. It says all of those things in verse 21, I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the what? Help me out. The kingdom of God. What he's saying is that if these types of things characterize your life, then you're going to hell quietness it's like every time we talk about that here because here's the thing today we don't like to talk about we've gone over this so many times we don't like to talk about the things that cause us to feel uncomfortable right because we don't like we don't drift into the uncomfortable sector we drift into the things that make us feel good we drift into hallmark and disney channel i don't but you know what i'm saying we see from the bible that he's saying that that all things out, all things unveiled, all things packages thrown away, bubble wrap all popped. When you when you open it all, the fruit, the result, the works of an unsaved life, he says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. What he's not saying is that you've got to be a good person to inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying that if Jesus doesn't come and change your heart radically, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is a horrible, terrifying thought. Hell is the end of the end. It is the door that C.S. Lewis says that is closed from the inside. Separated from God for all eternity, no hope, no rest, no water, no hope. It's a terrible place. Okay, people, some, I've heard this, but it's usually by guys. They say, well, Jeff, all my friends are going to hell, so I want to go down there to party with them. You don't, there's, there's no parties in hell. All right, like there's no, there's no drugs in hell. There's no, there's no, you know, like strip tees that you can see in hell. There's no, nothing you can shoot up. There's no, there's no Budweiser beer in hell. There's no water. There's no hope. I mean, it's, it's not like, it's not, it's not the place. Like if you're partying with your friends and you get attacked by killer hornets, everybody is no longer partying, right? You're fighting for your life. Magnify that a million fold. The torture that is in hell, that's not even possible to conceive for us. That's why Jesus says it's like fire. I mean, you, you got fire. I mean, what you're saying is that that's the best metaphor I can give. Even if it's literal. 
Because some people say, no, hold on, Jeff. Well, you could, could hell be a metaphor for the grave? And usually people say that, or could, could, could the fires in hell just be simply be metaphorical? Usually people say that to say that hell's not a real place. But here's the scary thing. If those who say it's not literal flames are right, what they're saying is that the best picture Jesus can give of hell is physical literal flames. Are you tracking with me? If those people are right, it's even worse. Are you tracking with me this morning? Sometimes people come to church and say, just feed. No, we're, we're going to put our thinking caps on. That means that if that's true, then hell, man, it, it is far worse than we could ever, ever imagine. That's the reason why the Bible says over and over again, especially the Apostle Paul, man, I implore you, I plead with you, turn to Jesus Christ. The person loves Jesus Christ. They are here every Sunday, man. We are not any better than anybody else. We simply want other people to find out how great Jesus is, not how great we are. Because the more we get to know each other, the more we'll probably irritate each other. That's the way it always works in relationships, all right? So he says that here, the fruit of the Spirit. What, what does he mean by the fruit of the Spirit? If you have an outline, let's, let's go through it um, together. The fruit of the Spirit is simply an idea. It's an illustration. It's a metaphor for the character qualities produced in a person who is saved and begins to follow Christ. Now, new fruit, a new new character qualities, that requires a new nature, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 in verse 16, beginning, he says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Never fallen into a pile of thorns and come out with figs and grapes. You? It doesn't work that way. Jesus says, so in verse 17, Matthew 7, every healthy tree bears good fruits. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Here's where it gets scary once again. Verse 19, that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. So in order to have a new quality, a new, new character qualities in our lives, it has to be a change of nature. And we can't do that. Sometimes we try. Have you ever, you ever been with somebody and you know they really don't want to be nice to you, but they're trying to fake a smile? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like you're out, you're, you're out, you, you order, you order a meal, like it's just all, I mean, there's hair sticking out all of it, you know, and it's cold and it's from last week. And you're just like, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I just, you know, and then and the person's just like, okay, fine, that's great. Thank you for coming here. We're really glad that you're here. Uh-huh. Yeah, great. Uh-huh. And you, some of y'all have never had that experience, but when you know somebody really doesn't want to be nice to you, they really want to be a jerk to you, but they're trying to fake the smile, it makes you feel great, doesn't it? No, it's, it's just like, well, be yourself. I mean, some of y'all that are more straight up be like, I want you to be who you are, you know, let's do this right now. And I thought about this, you know, when the Bible says that, that we have new fruit, that God produces things in us that have never been there before, namely love. That's what we'll talk about the majority of this morning. But instead, we look at that and say, I need that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to start trying to be better. It's kind of like trying to produce new fruit, new qualities in our lives without giving ourselves to God and Him creating in us a new nature. It's kind of like us doing to God like us faking a smile to God, and that's the same way that we may feel when people fake a smile to us. It's not genuine, it's not real. So there has to be a new nature for there to be new fruit. And also, Romans chapter 7 
says in verse number four, it speaks about in order that we may bear fruit for God. What it, what it means here, the scripture is saying that when we have new fruit, new life product, we have a different goal. It's no longer for ourselves. It means that the old passions, the old things that used to get us fired up, they kind of seem a little bit absurd in light of the new passions. You see, it doesn't mean that if you get saved that you'll no longer enjoy dressing nice, but what it means is that the high of buying something nice is nothing compared to the joy of knowing Jesus. You see? It doesn't mean, guys, that once you give your life to Jesus Christ and you enjoy doing, let's say, outdoors activities or working out or fixing things or shooting guns, that God's going to break both of your legs and make you play a flute. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that we have passions for things that can be used for God's glory, but those old passions begin to diminish in their desire. And we have brand new desires. That's the gospel. The gospel is that God gives us new desires. He replaces our DNA, so to speak, when we get saved. Now notice verse 22 said it's the fruit, these new qualities of the what? Or should we say of whom? The Holy Spirit. Now here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, we have to understand this. He's not a force. He's not an it. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. He is a He is personal. He is a personal being. He's fully God. He enables us to understand truth. He guides us into where we would have to go. Now, right off, when I say Holy Spirit, some of you guys have had weird experiences at churches. All right? I was talking to one guy, and he said, Jeff, really the first experience that I've had in church, I was 16 years old, and... um, Hadn't really been raised in church at all. And I showed up at this church. He says, people are literally like jumping over the seats. Like jumping over the seats and telling me, you got to turn, you got to turn. He's like, dude, I was so freaked out. I wanted to leave, but I couldn't move. Sometimes today we're told that the manifestation of the fruit of the spirit is people getting slain in the spirit. Uh, Benny Hinn style. Okay. I'm not making fun, but that's not what the Bible talks about, okay? Um, there's videos on the internet with the song in the background, let the bodies hit the floor, and Benny Hinn is slaying people in the spirit. That That's not, that's that's nowhere in scripture. You have to invent stuff and impress it, press it down onto scripture to make that legitimate. When the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, it's not talking about losing your mind. It's not talking about slaying in the Spirit. It's not talking about anything strange, weird, or uncomfortable. It simply means to where God gets a hold of you. And when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, He begins to cultivate inside of us new character. He begins to cultivate in us a love for people that we already think we love, that we don't love as we should. He begins to cultivate in us and create in us a desire to serve God. And the questions change when changes when the hearts change. Here's the thing. Some of us, we ask questions. We ask questions like, well, do I have to go to church? Or do I have to go to Sunday school to not have a guilty conscience? Listen, when the, when the heart changes, the questions change, right? I mean, the questions change. For, for a deer hunter who's hunting, You've got the buck who walks out. The question is not, I mean, should I shoot it? No, like, like you're, you're deer hunting. You shoot the, you shoot the deer. It's part of what you do. When you get saved, it's no longer an issue. Well, do I have to do this? It's like, man, I get to go to church, right? 
it all changes when Christ takes control. So here's where it begins to be a little bit confusing, though. Notice it says that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, help me out, church, is love. Now, in our culture, we'll say things like this. I love the Dallas Cowboys, and I love my mom. Hopefully those two are not in the same category, right? You say, I, I love my child. I love golf. We, we have one word in English that describes a multitude of meanings. We use like and love many times in the same expression. I had a person sent me a, a picture of a shirt and it said, I really, really like running because I really, 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 really like food. Y'all okay this morning? We, ha- we don't have the nuance that the Greek language does. So here's, the, if you have your outline, here are the words that are used um, in, in the world in which the New Testament was written. Number one, the word eros, that would be for erotic or sexual love. There's another word called storge, and that would be a love between family members, family members who love one another in a family type of way. Then there's the word phileo, where we get our uh, idea of a love between friends. It has nothing to do uh, with, with a sexual meaning, but we have even Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But then we come to the word that the New Testament writers reference most, and it's the word agape. It literally is describing the self-sacrificial love that moves a person to action regardless of the cost. It means the, the, the word that is used for God's love for us. Now, when the Apostle Paul was giving this as the description of the fruit of the Spirit, he could have just stopped with love. Because if you love someone, you're not going to sin against them, Right? If you love someone, you're going to always do what is best for them. Write this text down if you're taking notes. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. The Bible says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And so when the Bible says that God begins to produce in us love, that's the same word that's used for the love that Jesus had for us. So then we ask the question, how far did God go with his love? We look to the cross. We look to the cross. That's how far God went. And for some of us today, we say, well, Jeff, we understand that, you know, the gospel in Jesus dying on the cross. But what does that look like in our lives today? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And there in verse 4, it gives kind of a description of what love looks like in any time and in any culture. It says, love is patient and love is kind. Patience. How many of us need patience? We all need patience. It says, love does not envy or boast. It means that that acting in love, it means that we don't have to have an attitude of competitiveness with other people, but we don't have it all about ourselves. Notice it also says it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways. It is not irritable or resentful. Here is the way that God begins to change many of our hearts. For some of us, before we got saved, we made excuses when we were irritable and when we were harsh and when we were angry, didn't we? That's the way that the human heart goes, is to make excuses when we mess up. And we learned in our Bible study on Wednesday night, it was such a great point by Matt Chandler, that we don't want justice for ourselves, do we? 
Like how many of us, man, when, when we, well, like we lost our cool, we got angry, we threw stuff, we said stuff that was not, that was hurtful and was not helpful. Like how many of us would be like, you know what? Just throw me on the gates of the sacrificial table. Like get, no, no, we, we want people to forgive us when we mess up, but often we want justice for other people and we're not willing to forgive. But the Bible says here that love does not insist on its own ways. It is not irritable or resentful. It means that Resentful means that once, y'all tracking, once, once the argument is finished and we've said, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That was wrong. It means not carrying a resentment. It means that next time something comes up, you don't bring up something from four months ago. We okay this morning? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Man, this is one of the greatest evidences of being saved. That even when the truth pins us to the wall, when we feel guilty, when we feel like we've done wrong, when we feel like we've got that weight of guilt on our shoulders, we rejoice in the truth anyway. Amen? Because what it means, listen, you come to church, you're like, dude, I, I, did you, what did you tell him? Like I've had people, they're like, were you reading my mail? I'm like, bro, I don't even know you. Like, this is the first time, I'm not a stalker, don't worry, you know? And like, like what did, did the person who invited me, like, what, what's going on? Here's what happens. When the Bible is explained and taught, it's kind of like we get conviction. It has nothing to do with going before a, physical, a, a human judge, but what it has to do with is God showing us what we really are. And when we are convicted of our sin, that should cause us to rejoice. Because it means that our heart has not been hardened to the point that we can no longer hear the voice of God. That's why it should cause us to rejoice. It says that love rejoices in the truth. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Because we know that even when God convicts us, even when we hear difficult messages and difficult things, it is for our betterment. You see, if God didn't care, why would he convict us over sin in our life? Kids get taken away from parents who don't care. Parent be like, there's a loaded gun right there. There's a pair of steak knives. Um, and if you want to have some fun later, just try sticking them in the wall socket, right? Like, you do that. You do that. Things will not go well. Because we understand that there is the parental love, the parental involvement, showing the children what they're doing wrong. And it says, this is so beautiful. That, by the way, if you're in any type of relationship, this would be something, verses 4 through 7, that would be good to put on the wall. It says, uh, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Endures all things. That means that you put up with people who don't deserve it. Because God puts up with us even when we don't deserve it. You say, well, Jeff, what, what does this actually look like in a person's life? When you get saved and you begin to walk in the Spirit, and what that simply means is to surrender yourself to the Lord. It means to get up in the morning and say, Lord, give me the strength that I need to obey you today. It means that you begin for the first time to be moved with compassion like Jesus was. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus looked out at the people. And they were confused. They were scattered. They were taught wrong. And it says that he was moved with compassion. When, when God gets a hold of our hearts, we realize the gravity of what it means to be loved by Jesus. I mean, imagine, imagine God actually exists. And for six weeks in the fall, we're going to go through the existence of God. I cannot wait. But imagine, I mean, if that's true, if he's really there, 
If God exists, God who created everything that exists. I mean, and, and Jesus is his son and he lived and bled and died. And yet God came into our life and he changed us. What that means is that is a, that is a thing of gravity and of seriousness, isn't it church? And it means that I have received what I could never earn. It means that I've been saved from hell. It means that my heart has been transformed. It means that for the first time we begin to be moved with compassion for other people. What a beautiful thing it is. Uh, back when you have Ebola and it was just it was ravaging Africa. Back when it was in the news at least. And guess who were the ones on the front lines? These Most all of them were, were Bible-believing Christians. They had nothing to gain. Like you get strapped up. You get duct taped, you get into your CDC suit. I mean, you go out there, you could die a terrible death, but they did. They, they went and they served and they're saving people because they've been changed by the love of Jesus. And a worldly mindset, if we just come this way once, that is absolutely nuts crazy. And Donald Trump's tweet makes total sense. If you remember that. You say, Jeff, I, I know that I should should be a loving person. I know I should have these qualities in my life, but how does it begin to happen? It begins with obeying the gospel. It begins with getting saved. It begins with being led by the Spirit. And this word, um, being led by the Spirit, has to do, it's been used many times in the Greek writings, to be like sheep being led by a shepherd, like herding cattle, like soldiers escorting prisoners. It means to be led by God. You say, well, we walk by the Spirit, but what do I do about the old ways? The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 8 and 9, For the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Man, that may be a word from the Lord to some of us this morning that we just simply need to not give up. Can I get a witness? Sometimes it's difficult to continue to go. But listen, sometimes you say, well, Jeff, I got saved, but I've been messy. Guess who knew that? God. Like God, God never saved a person and they messed up afterwards. And God be like, Did, can you believe that? I mean, they were a sinner, couldn't save themselves, but I never saw that coming. Did you, Gabriel? Like, it's never going to happen. God knows us. He knows that we will mess up. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that we can come to the Lord and receive forgiveness. You see, the love of God, what it looks like in our life is that we begin to be moved with compassion for people. We no longer simply change the channel in our mind and heart, and we simply callously push people away. It means that we begin to target people who don't have direction with the love of Jesus Christ. We just had Earth Day this past Wednesday. And let me just say this. Um, in regards to taking care of the earth, only biblical Christianity has a reason to do that. Only biblical Christianity has a reason to even take care of the earth. Because really, all things considered, if God does not exist, then it doesn't matter anyway. Y'all realize that? Like eventually, 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 it doesn't matter. Zero degrees Kelvin, heat death of the universe. But boy, we think about the earth and what God has created. We look at it from outer space. It's a beautiful planet, right? 
And then you come a little bit closer and like the, the, the platform, the guy jumped off with the Red Bull and he did that crazy high jump. I mean, it's beautiful there. You look out from a plane, it's beautiful. But boy, once you start talking with average people and you see the suffering, you see it. there's a need for people to be changed by the love of Jesus Christ, don't you? And we see what's going on in the world. We, we begin to, for the first time, when we begin to walk by the Spirit, we begin to, to mirror the love of Jesus by sacrificing for other people. By sacrificing for other people. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Oh, man. It simply means to be obedient to the love of Jesus Christ. Did you see that Geico commercial to the guys out in the middle of the desert and he's just sinking in this quicksand and you've got a cat sitting there. He's telling the cat, go find help, go boy, go find help. And the cat's just looking at him like you're stupid, right? And it, and it says, cats ignore people, that's what they do, right? Like that's part of being a cat. The point of gospel change is that walking in the spirit simply means saying lord i am willing to obey you i'm here today say god if you lead me say you know i'm ready to give my life to jesus christ do that publicly at the end of this service for some of us it is that the lord is leading us to be baptized whatever the case may be and then when the love of jesus christ begins to take over a heart we begin to desire to sacrifice for jesus and here, here's, here's what can be difficult sometimes for those of us that are, that are younger. Um, we have the tendency to waste the best years of our life on things that really don't matter. It's, a, it's, it's amazing, right? Those of us that are young, we can go and we can travel and we can lift things and we can bend over and so forth and we can do all sorts of things that involve physical strength and physical stamina. It's amazing how few of us are listening to the Lord when He says, Use your young years in things that last. And then some, some of you that are older, you realize what can happen as you grow older, the tendency to become bitter and talk about, quote, young people today. For our seniors, you, you need to realize that many, quote, young people today were not even raised in homes where mom and dad were both there. Do you realize that? And even less where mom and dad brought them to hear the gospel at church, even less to where mom and dad actually loved Jesus. So may God help us when those of us who are young are wasting our strength on things that don't matter, and may God help us when those of us who have had years added upon years, when we may grow bitter about a changing culture. May it be that wherever we are, whether you're well-to-do or whether you come from a rough background, that we reach across to people that we would never reach across to before we were saved. You see, that's the mark of the gospel. Imagine how amazing it would be if we could go back in time and be with Paul and be with these believers in a place and a time to where everything was divided. Everything was divided on religion and race and ethnicity and gender and so forth. But to go to one of those early Christian meetings and to have a person who was a slave and to be able to call a person who had leadership in the Roman military brother. For us as America, we're big on equality, but the Bible is the thing that provides the basis for any of that. And what is it, what does it look like to be consumed by the love of Jesus? Here's where it gets crazy nuts. It means that we desire for our enemies to experience the love of Jesus more than our revenge. 
Now, if you are saved, this is a sight that I believe that we will see in heaven because we have evidence, we have testimonies all over the place. Being in heaven with Jesus falling down on our face, casting all our crowns, so to speak, before him, and being before him and realizing this is the one who has purchased our salvation, the one who has saved us, the one who loves us. And then after we do that, there's eventually going to be those times like what we hear on Voices of the Martyrs to where these Christians are being killed by people who don't believe in Christ. The Apostle Paul had been a part in the killing of Christians. Realize how crazy it's going to be in heaven when the people who were killed... Y'all tracking? And the grace of God through their obedience, through their willingness to lay down their life, worked upon the heart of the persecutor, the torturer, the executioner. They couldn't get it out of their head. And they came to faith in Jesus Christ. So the one who was killed by the Muslim terrorist, by the communist dictator, by the pagan, In the first few centuries of Rome, their eyes will meet at the one who sent them on. And can you imagine that? I mean, you talk about, for for an unsaved heart, how uncomfortable that would be. But imagine the grace and the glory of God. You're there and you're trying to remain, you're trying to remain firm and there's torture and there's, there's hatred and there's beatings and finally there's the executioner's axe or the bullet and then you go to be with Jesus. And you don't know. Whoever said that we know everything in heaven has not read the Bible because that means that we would be like God. But we're going to be there. Imagine the power of that. To see that the love of Jesus Christ has transformed those who wanted to eradicate the gospel. And guess what? That's the seed of Christianity. David Platt, who who pastored a church in Birmingham, they did this, this simulcast called Secret Church. And they would webcast it all around the world. This past week, they were going to do that in Birmingham, but there was a a threat leveled against the church, and they had to cancel the event, do it at a different location. And one person commented, and it says, all of Satan's attempts to crush the church actually contribute to its growth. And to the grace and love of Jesus, the love of God will win. Matthew Henry says the excellency, and this is in your outline, the excellency of the love of Christ is beyond all other love. He is not only equaled, but exceeded the most illustrious lovers. The life which others have laid down has been of equal value with the life for which it was laid down and perhaps less valuable. Think military situation falling on a grenade. What he's saying is that there is a one-for-one exchange, but... Christ is infinitely worth more than 10,000 of us. Others have laid down their lives for their friends, but Christ laid down His for us when we were His enemies. That is some crazy love. The fact that Jesus was on the cross and He still had love for the people there. The question for us today is, how can we not respond to the love of God? How, how can, how can, like seriously, if we understand how great the love that Jesus has for us, that he knew where we were, he knew what we had been, but yet he's still willing to forgive us and change us, how can we not respond to that kind of love? There may be some of you like, Jeff, I, man, I've got a jacked up life. Jesus' love can change you. He can create in you a loving heart where before there was one that couldn't admit 
any wrongdoing. The love of Jesus is the most powerful thing that we could ever imagine. And the question for us today, how could we not respond to that? For some of us, the way that we need to respond is by publicly in an invitation and a group of people in a service to say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. You don't have to do that. But when we begin to sing here in just a few moments, why don't you come? Just say, you know what, I'm ready. Today is my day to begin to follow Jesus Christ. There's some, you say, Jeff, man, I have been saved, but I have not walked in love. Like if you ask my wife, if you ask my husband, if you ask my mom, my dad, my children, they would say mom and dad have not really been that loving lately. It may be that God is working through us this morning to go to people that we've offended and ask forgiveness and to make restitution. You say, Jeff, man, my marriage is on the rocks. Things are just crazy. God can still work. The question is, are we willing to respond to the love of Jesus Christ?